Well, I was talking to the, the young people at the earlier service. I was asking them about spelling, how good their spelling was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to confess that when I'm typing something up uh, on, on the laptop or on the computer, um, I'm one of these people that gets a lot of red wiggly lines and also green wiggly lines. Um, <laughs> partly because the computer can't cope with the fact that I type how I speak, um, so that's not grammatically correct, uh, and my spelling is atrocious. Um, and then we talked about words. We talked about the, um, uh, the interesting uh, way that the English language is so structured. Um, and we started by thinking about three particular words um, that I have here on a piece of paper. Um, for those who can't see, the top one is spelt B-O-W, the middle one is W-I-N-D, and the bottom one is T-E-A-R. And I asked them how you say them. <laughs> okay, you're with me? That's good. So we had words that are spelt the same, um, but have a different pronunciation. So you've got bow or bow, wind or wind, tear and tear. Um, and, and depending on your, your sentence, depending on the, on the content, context, or depend on how you say them. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't say, I wind my clock up. You'd say, I wind my clock up. <laughs> well, you might wind your clock up, I don't know. <laughs> um, th- then we had these three words. Um, L-I-E, L-E-A-V-E-S, and F-L-Y. And I asked them what they meant. Think about it. So lie. Telling an untruth or lying in your bed. Leaves, as in on the tree, or leaves as in departing somewhere. And then we've got fly, that silly little insect that drives you nuts in the summer, uh, or getting on a plane and flying somewhere. So here we have three words, same spelling, same pronunciation, but a totally different meaning. I had fun doing this. And then I gave them, well, I actually gave them six more words this time, but you'll see why it's six in a minute. So on the top line, we have P-A-I-R and P-E-A-R. Then we've got S-E-E and S-E-A and then T-O and T-W-O. So we've got words that sound the same, pair and pair, C and C, two and two, but you've got different spellings and totally different meanings. Um, So we talked about, you know, thank goodness we're English and we don't have to learn all this. Um, But we talked about the importance of words and how we use words and, yes, even the spellings of words and, and, and reading And a few days ago, there was an item on the news um, that looked at the use of Kindles and tablets as opposed to books. Now, apparently some research has been done on this, and it's shown that boys and children and young people with special educational needs are more likely to read if they have a Kindle or, or a tablet rather than using a book. It's something to do with the interactiveness of Kindles and tablets, whereas opposed to a book just is there. Personally, I still use books. I don't possess a Kindle. 
and I don't think I'm going to in the foreseeable future because I like books. I like to feel them, handle them, flick through the pages. But equally, I know that there are people who now do almost all their reading uh, on Kindles. And that's, and that's fine. It's, it's whatever is right for the, you know, the person. But however we receive them, words are important. Words matter. I'm one of these people who collects useful sayings, and I've got a file of them at home. Um, some of them are about words. So you may have heard some of these. You may not have done our words are like toothpaste in a tube. Once they are out, they cannot go back and can make an awful mess. Or, I try to watch the words I say and keep them soft and sweet, for I don't know from day to day which ones I'll have to eat. <laughs> Uh, and then one that I, I think probably most of us here will have heard before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Now that last one, uh, I can remember being said to me when I, was, when I was young. And it was usually because somebody had said something to me that had upset me or made me cross. I honestly can't remember whether it made any difference to how I was feeling. What I do know is that actually now I doubt the truth of those words. You see, words can hurt. They can hurt really deeply. They can't be taken back. Once they're said, once they're out, that's it, they're there. Um, and in, in this day of, of modern technology, and particularly tweeting and Facebook, you know, we've seen some horrendous stories in the news about somebody who has, certainly in my opinion, ill-advisedly put something out there in cyberspace and it's really come back to bite them. And words are hard to forget sometimes. And yes, they can leave people with a bit of a mess in their lives. But words can also be very positive they can instill confidence in individuals and in groups of people. You know, if somebody says to you, that was really good, you kind of go, oh, I feel much better now. And words can also be used to heal hurts that have been caused. They can build and deepen relationships. And words can be used to pass on messages and information. And yes, words can hold great power. Think of some of the great orators that we've seen, like Martin Luther King, Winston Churchill, who through their words greatly influenced people. So it's not surprising then that God knows the importance of words. Consider those words that we heard earlier from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet lived at a time when all was not well with God's people. Once again, they had disobeyed God. They had disregarded his warnings as to where that disobedience would lead them. And so they had been defeated in war and carried off into exile. 
But God wanted to let them know that despite everything, they were still his people. And he was still their God. So he gives his prophet Isaiah words of hope and encouragement. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Her sin has been paid for. See, the Lord comes in power. He tends his sheep like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. So although the Israelites lived in circumstances that were far from encouraging, God gives his prophets words that point to the future, a future where God's people would no longer be downtrodden, would no longer live in exile, a future where their relationship with God would be restored. But it was more than that, for these words also reminded them of God's power. See, the Lord comes with power, his arm rules for him. And the words also reminded them that God's words were sure and would last forever. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And it was not only the people of Isaiah's day that needed to hear these words. God's people at the time of Jesus were also in need of hope and encouragement. Although they lived in their own land, they were not their own bosses. The Romans had arrived and fully intended to stay, making the Israelites part of their vast empire. The people needed to know that God had not forgotten them, nor the promises he had made to them. And into these circumstances comes John the Baptist, and the people flock to hear him. Which, if you stop and think about it, was a bit odd. You see, his message wasn't an easy one. To some groups of people, the Pharisees, the soldiers, for example, he was quite harsh in what he said. His location wasn't exactly comfortable. There were no armchairs for people to sit and listen to him. And I'm guessing he can't have been attractive in the conventional sense. No one who lives in the desert, dressed in camel hair, eating only honey and wild locusts is likely to picture, uh, say, on the, face, on, on the front page of Vogue, So what was it that drew the people to hear John the Baptist? Perhaps it was because they saw in John something of the great patriarchs of their past. Perhaps something about John reminded them of the great stories they had grown up with. Stories about Elijah and Elisha, Jeremiah and Isaiah. And as they flocked to hear John... Maybe, maybe deep down in their hearts, a hope was kindled. A hope that God had raised up another mighty prophet who was going to bring words of rescue and redemption. A hope that this might signal the start of the defeat of the occupying Roman forces. 
Certainly in the opening paragraphs of his gospel, Mark sees John as being in the line of great prophets. And he even takes some of Isaiah's words that we heard this morning um, to be referring to John. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. But as I have already alluded to, the words that John spoke were not exactly what the people might have hoped for. His words were words that spoke of the need to repent. His words spoke of the need to confess sins and return to God. But they also spoke of someone else, of someone else who was to come. And this person would be mightier than John. This person would usher in the dawn of a new relationship that would be available between God and humankind. So John said, I baptize you with fire, with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, as with all other prophets before him, was a messenger who spoke not his own words, but God's. And in the words that were spoken, the message was that one day, and for John, one day very soon, God would send his living word so that the people would no longer have to rely on prophets or priests to tell them what God wanted them to do. But they would have direct access to God themselves. The relationship would be that close. Jesus came to be that living word. Jesus came to bring God's word to people in a new and a vital way. Jesus came to show that God was not some distant deity sending his messages through intermediaries and woe betide you if you misunderstood or ignored the message. Rather, Jesus came to bring a message of hope, of love and of care. A message that people can live in relationship with God. And with a God who is as concerned about the individual as he is with cosmic matters. Jesus also came with words that were for all. Not just the elite, not just the Jewish nation, but for all. Men and women old and young, Jew and Greek, slave and free, Roman and barbarian. But actually, what Jesus brought were not, was not a new message. They were not new words. Consider again one of the verses we heard from Isaiah. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all Mankind shall see it. All mankind. Isaiah's words were not exclusive to a particular group of people, although they were delivered to a particular group of people. But rather, all shall hear and see. And Jesus, God's living word, came with a similar message. God's love and forgiveness were for all. The words of God 
were for all. So on this second Sunday in Advent, when traditionally with the second candle we remember the prophets, what do their words, what does Jesus, the living word, have to say to us today? Firstly, I believe we are called to hear and to treasure the words as they come down to us through the generations. Much of what the prophets of old said to God's people can equally be said to each one of us. So there is the need to listen and to understand what God is saying. There is the need to know that God's word can be absolutely trusted and will never prove false. We need to hear of God's desire to live in relationship with us. We also need to hear that that relationship demands our obedience. We need to hear of God's love and concern for all. And we also need to hear of the consequences of turning away from God and doing our own thing. And then second, we need to consider the impact of our words. For we are called to continue the work of Jesus. We are called, in a sense, to be God's living word to those around us. Our family, our friends, those that we socialize with, those that we work with. We are called to pass on God's words to others. And lest this seems too daunting, there is help at hand and guidance. Think again about some of the great prophets. Many of them, we read, spent time alone. Some, like John, spent time alone in the desert or the wilderness. Jesus himself mirrored that discipline at the start of his ministry. The wilderness, whatever else it might be, is a place of no distractions. Perfect for hearing God's voice. A place where one can listen with more than half an ear to what God has to say. And so I would suggest that we need to find our own wilderness. That place where we can go and listen for God's voice without being distracted by it everything else that is going on around us. Pressure and stress can be overwhelming at this time of year. And yes, particularly in the church, where extra events and extra services demand much time and effort. During this Advent, as we prepare to once again celebrate the birth of the Living Word, I would encourage you to consciously make time. Make time to go to that place where we can focus totally on God and make room for his still, small voice. And as we do so, as we spend time with God, we can do no better than to echo some of Isaiah's words. A voice says, cry out, And I said, what shall I cry? What shall I cry? We need to be willing to ask God 
that the words he would have us say are his words. You see, if we open our mouth without engaging our brain, or we open our mouth before listening to God, then the words that are likely to come out will be our words and not God's. The challenge for us in this culture of texting, Facebook, tweeting, and whatever the latest technology happens to be, is to find appropriate ways to speak God's word today so that they can enter deeply into people's consciousness. On this second Sunday in Advent, as we remember the prophets who proclaimed God's word, let us allow the Holy Spirit to inspire our reading of scripture so that old words will take a new root in us and galvanize us to articulate the gospel's message afresh. May that be so for us today and in the days to come.